Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 29, Turn to Stone. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast way station for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. And this week we are discussing the fourth episode of season four of Lost Girl, Turn to Stone. And Chris is joining us from the parking lot of a hotel in Bakersfield, California, because she is in the middle of driving from Texas to California. And so if you notice a difference in her sound quality, that's why she wasn't really able to do her usual audio setup. But we we thank her for joining us anyway. Our drink special this week is a dark and stormy, because apparently Bo is dark, which means things are probably about to get a little stormy. So this drink is made with dark rum and ginger beer and sometimes lime juice, but that's kind of optional and it's delicious. So there will be a recipe if you would like to try it. See, we're not making fun of you with the drink special this week, Annie. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So let's start with sort of brief initial reactions, first impressions. What did y'all think of the episode? Chris. I really enjoyed it, and <laughs> Stephanie kind of kind of built it up because she'd seen it before I did this week, and uh, sent me a bunch of messages, basically declaring that she was desperate to talk about it. <laughs> and so I'm like, "Stop! Stop saying that! You're setting my expectations far too high." But no, it was a pretty good episode. What did you think, Annie? Um, I have to throw in a disclaimer. Uh, that when I first watched the episode, my sleep schedule was really off. It was the end of the holiday weekend, and I wasn't feeling great. So I think it colored what I initially felt about the ep. And I kept, I just wasn't feeling good. So and I was like, kept harping on, wait, why isn't this there? Why isn't this happening? Instead of, oh my god, what about all this revelation and this one? I mean, it is a really, really great ep. There's so much great Benzy stuff and so many great, you know, acting bits by Ksenia and Zoe, and more questions revealed, and more questions come up, and how many frickin' pass, pass does Lauren have? All that stuff. And that little bit about Bo at the end. It threw you off when the episode started off with Dyson and Bo having sex, didn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, well, the first shot with Bo boxing, I was like, oh my god, sexy! And then I was like, head desk, head desk, head desk. So... Well, like Chris kind of alluded to, I really, really, really liked the episode. This was like Lost Girl the way that I love Lost Girl. It really reminded me of sort of the feel that the episodes had in seasons one and two. And I just really, really liked it. I I think it might be my favorite episode of the season so far, though episode 401 and Memoriam is still really high up there. So it's a close call. But I think this episode might have been my favorite. Yeah, I agree on that on a lot of points. I I heard a lot of people saying that it's like Lost Girl uh, of old, so to speak. Of course, I think isn't this the first episode all season that we've had everybody actually really present in the episode? But we didn't have everybody. We didn't have Trick and Hale. That's true. It's all. Let me rephrase our our four primary cast members whose names are during the opening credit sequence. Yes, this is the first episode where we've had. We've had Bo, Lauren, Kenzie, Dyson. Because Lauren was in the first episode, but just a little bit at the end. So that doesn't even count. But yeah. So since we kind of talked about it already, we'll go ahead and we'll talk about the Bo and Dyson sex scene that opens up this episode. And 
I gotta say, that really reminded me a lot of their encounter in Vexed. I, 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 choreography, I guess, is maybe the best word to use. The choreography <laughs> of the scene was very... They had a lot of like similarities to it, I think. And this is like yet another little thing that seems, maybe not purposefully, but to me kind of calls back the first season in a lot of ways. And I was wondering if y'all kind of had a similar impression of either, not necessarily that scene in particular, but just in general, do you feel like they're maybe calling back to season one this season? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that scene, it's its very much that primal, instinctual, just get down and sweaty kind of sex uh, that Dyson and Bo are uh, known for. And uh, they're just like two you know, animal instincts going at it, and it, it can be very sexy, and it can be very wild, and, you know, with the music going, um, Craig, I, you know, I was like, what's the song that's playing over this sex scene? I'm sure it's gonna get quite a few downloads. Maybe not from me, but maybe, I don't know, I, I'm, I've yet to decide what is on my season four playlist. Um, but yeah, it just, the whole look and feel, like you said, was very similar to Vexed. I actually wrote down in my notes, I wonder if they're trying to reset the Dyson and Bo relationship to where it was in season one, because it, it kind of feels like that a little bit. You know, it's a, it's more lighthearted than it's been since the first season. Yeah, because even beyond, so I mentioned the choreography of the scene, and there are some, I think, quite a few similarities, but also just the dynamic between the two of them. It was a little more, there's a little more animosity between the two of them in Vexed, but very much the sort of... Bo is kind of using Dyson as a sex buddy type of type of dynamic to, between the two of them. And whereas in Vexed afterward, there was kind of a discussion about Lauren before there was a discussion about Lauren in this in this little sex scene to kind of make it clear that Bo is not really relationshipy with Dyson at this point. She's having sex with him, but not really. They're not really in a relationship. And Dyson, I think, confirms that later in the episode where he tells Tamsin that Bo is not his girlfriend. So, yeah, I, I, I think so too. I feel like they're taking Bo and Dyson back to the first season, rebooting it, making it a little more lighthearted, like you, like you said, Chris, less fraught. I guess. Yeah. Well, here's the thing that's kind of confusing to me. It's like Bo and Dyson are talking about Lauren in this episode. And then, so, and I love how Bo is just mocking the Una men's threat. You know, get in line, take a number. And I'm like, oh, that's so Bo, you know, just so Bo of old, and I love that. Um, and then Dyson seems really sensitive when he asks, you know, and you want to talk about the first thing on your mind. And then Bo asks, is there any news? And Dyson says, not for a while. So I'm like, oh, God, how long has Lauren been missing? Or how long has she been, you know, captured? And, you know, it implies that it's kind of a while. And then Bo's just like, oh, I need to refuel. And then I'm like, ah, you know, I, I don't know who Bo wants to be with, who, if Dyson's just a sex buddy, you know, if this show is going in that direction, if she still has feelings for Lauren, you know, it's to me, everything's a bit, you know, uh, up in the air. Well, I did read the interview that Emily Andrus did with TV Canada this week after this episode, and Emily made a point to talk about the dynamic between Bo and Dyson in that sex scene being a lot about Bo really feeling out of control of a lot of things, having just been kidnapped, having no idea where Lauren is, not being able to sort of live her normal life because of the Unamens threat, and just really needing to control something, and that thing being Dyson. And I think that's partially, because actually when I first saw the episode, that scene made me kind of uncomfortable, and I figured out why. It was because there was sort of this 
power play thing going on between the two of them, it felt like, which some people find hot and that's fine, but it made me a little feel a little weird. <laughs> and and I figured out finally that's why it did, because yes, it is very much Bo trying to control Dyson and kind of a struggle between the two of them. Well, you could say it's the underlying frustration of Bo of not having control over these different aspects of her life and Dyson having the underlying frustration of his feelings for her, but at the same time, you know, he can't have her or she doesn't feel the same way or she hasn't hasn't decided. So, but yeah, it very much comes out in the physicality of the sex scene. Going back to the song that Annie mentioned before we move on, I found the song really interesting. It's it's a song called Baby I Call Hell by Deep Valley, which is a, a two-woman kind of bluesy garage rock band from California. And I found the lyrics kind of interesting because here are the lyrics. There's not that many of them. Baby, do you love me like you say you do? Baby, do you love me? Is this good love to you? If you want to serve me, show me you deserve me because if you really love me, be a bigger man than you. Now, are you going to please me like you swore you would? Was it just to tease me? Better treat this woman good. No, you don't get this if you don't treat me well, because what you call love, baby, I call hell. And when I sort of listened to the lyrics, it got me thinking it's from, obviously, a woman's perspective, because the lead singer is female. But do you think, like, the lyrics of the song, do you think they speak more to Bo's frame of mind, or maybe more to Dyson's frame of mind? Good question. I think at this point, it kind of could be either, couldn't it? Right, because Dyson has sort of said that he loves Bo. I don't think Bo has really said that back to him recently. But Dyson is kind of in this purgatory place, especially as we see in this episode, where he's having a sexual relationship with Bo, but not an emotional one that that she's having with Lauren. She seems to still really miss Lauren and want to be with Lauren. Well, and that's the thing that I was thinking about. You put into words... Yeah, that's the difference in the relationship between uh, Bo with Lauren and Bo with Dyson. But can she ever have one, you know, both parts of that relationship with one person? Um, you know, because Lauren's not enough for her physically, but she, they have all these emotional issues they still need to talk about and um, how they connect and how, you know, they have said to each other how they love each other, but... At the same time, Dyson fulfills her physically, and he's got his unrequited love, so... Ah, it's just a bit of a pickle. That is the crux of the series. So I felt like there was a lot of really good stuff for a lot of the shippers. Like, uh, probably at least four different ships were kind of given some fan service this episode. <laughs> lot, lot, a lot. Well, not enough for my docubus together in the same city, in the same scene. As I mentioned, I kept waiting for that the whole episode, but... The emotional stuff was there. Right, because you have for the for the Daibo folks, you have the, the Bo and Dyson sexy times, like we were just talking about. And all there was the, the innuendo throughout the episode. <laughs> right, there was that shopping flirting, which, oh my gosh, okay. Ew, and ew, then, ew. <laughs> not in front of the child, come on. And then, <laughs> and then you have Bo Can getting kind of like... <laughs> ew, ew, ew. That was just me. <laughs> So, and then you have Bo getting kind of, like, snotty and jealous when Kenzie admits that she kissed Dyson, even though she said later she didn't care about Dyson. But still, I mean, yeah. you could maybe hang your hat on that and be like, see, she still cares. She doesn't want Kenzie dating him. And then for the Docubus people, you know, you have Lauren being the first thing on Bo's mind at the beginning of the episode, and then Bo finding the, I think it was a necklace in the in the box and holding it to her and finding that sweet note from Lauren and that says that she loves her. And then you have for the Kinsey and Hale people, 
you have Kenzie admitting to Bo that she thinks she only wants to really kiss Hale. I think I might love him, like him, something, yeah, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, for the Valcubus people, you have you have Tamsin saying, so that's what love feels like when, when Bo hugs um, her. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that later, but just like <laughs> so much stuff for all the shippers in this episode. It's like- do, 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 all the points were hit. Yes. Yeah. It was a very, very packed episode. Yeah, like all of the canon ships, like, you know, Bo and Dyson and, and Bo and Lauren and then Kinsey and Hale were hit. Except for maybe Trick and Stella, but they're broken up at this point, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Bo found the necklace from Lauren, but was it really a necklace from Lauren? Because how many people have been staying at Lauren's apartment it could be, you know, something that Ebony planted there for, for Bo to find to, I don't know, there could be nefarious intent going on. We don't know. What? It was a handwritten note, though, so let's hope that Bo knows what Lauren's handwriting looks like. Yeah, yeah. no, it was a handwritten note. Did we see it? Yes. yes. I saw screen grabs of it. Well, how about okay. this then? Even if it was a handwritten note that maybe the necklace has been enchanted by some, maybe, maybe Ebony had the druid put the whammy on the necklace. Now what, you're what just would that reaching do for Chris? anything. Yeah, the whole thing about the note, I don't think it's from Ebony. I think it's from Lauren because Darkness fans have investigated this thoroughly and screen grabs everything and it says for giving me the freedom to love and I do. And it does say forever on there. Screen grab as proof. And yeah, that that did make me cry both times I watched it. So hopefully that will be go away in between bridging the gap between Docubus and people are even speculating, is there a ring on that chain? Could it be a engagement ring, proposal ring? So this is how stretching out the Docubus fans are going. I'm just letting you know what's going on in the world of Twitter. I find it, you know, fascinating and grasping onto straws a little bit. But I don't care. I'll take it. I'll take it because right now I'm just waiting for a scene with them in the same room. I don't know. Yes, a lot of people have been in Lauren's apartment, but... You would think that Bo would know what her handwriting looks like and that she wouldn't have had a reaction like that about anybody except Lauren if she thought anybody except Lauren had written that. Really, it's just that I watch too many TV shows and am suspicious of everything. (laughs) And also that I want to tease you. (laughs) I know. I know. Thank you. So obviously the big reveal, the big story arc for Bo in this episode is we learn that Bo somehow has chosen a side, and of course it is Dark Fae. And I knew something was up for her the second we saw Kinsey's trap for Malicious Fae flare up. I'm like, oh no, oh no, something bad happened to Bo. See, I, I didn't get that until afterwards, and I read others' comments, but I was like, you know, when she said dark, and I was like, holy shit! And then I was like, Wait a minute. Are the Unamens, are they effing with her? Is it true? But if Bo's blood chooses for her, isn't that taking away her free will and what we always say, what she's going to choose for, she always says she's going to choose for herself? Or do Faye even have a choice in the matter? Are they born light or dark? Or is it different with Bo? Didn't Aoife start out light? And if her father's dark, she could be different, you know? What the Unamen said was that your blood has spoken, Me, which I interpreted to mean that when the gargoyle bit her and tasted her blood, the gargoyle could tell that she had chosen a side. Not that her blood had chosen for her, but that her blood indicated that she had chosen at some point. My thinking is that when she was gone with the Wanderer off wherever, on the train to Hogwarts, whatever it is, something happened, and that is how she ended up choosing a side. 
So still against her will, but I didn't interpret that to mean that somehow her blood had just done the choosing for her. It was more that the blood revealed what side she had chosen. But I still feel like it's against her will because she didn't have a conscious choice in it that we can see. Absolutely. And that's why she's so shocked in that last shot. Oh, Bo's pissed. Bo is pissed. You know the the next few episodes are going to be about her finding out how that happened and how to undo it. it. Or if she wants to. Let's see. Why would she not want to? She's all about being un- unaligned. I, That's I think true. she would. Well, you, n- you never know. I mean, the dark bow could always take over and, you know, that's always been a factor. So it's true we, we because we don't know where things will go. We have seen and, and this episode in particular, there was there was hints to Bo having chosen aside if you were really paying attention because you know in the very beginning you have dyson telling her there's something different about you and then when she and kenzie come back from dancing at the doll you know she says it feels so good to be bad and then when she is sort of questioning massimo the first time she says if you don't hold up to the end of your bar of of the bargain i'll kill you and Bo doesn't really threaten to kill people usually yeah how many times does she outright just threaten somebody with death she does not. That is not a, a usual thing for That's not the bow we've seen. And, you know, Kenzie mentions it too at the bar that, you know, this is bow like 2.0 with, you know, different powers or different effects. And we don't know all the effects of this new bow besides just, um, jamming in the bar to Spice Girls. I love that the doll has an iPhone dock. That also looks like a gramophone, by the way, so it's a mix of the old and the new. But I loved it when Bo put it in there. I'm like, oh yeah, Trick, he's got some modern technology, despite the old phone. Speaking of of the dancing at the doll and and the Spice Girls, okay, uh, Canadians, are Spice Girls still a thing in Canada, or is it just <laughs> is it just '90s nostalgia? Because what is there a lot of Spice Girls in other Canadian shows? Well, here's the thing, Chris and I, we we do a podcast for another Canadian show, Orphan Black. And they use the same Spice Girls song in an episode in the first season. And I mean, granted, they used a lot of like 90s pop songs in this character scenes period. So it was a little more, I guess, I don't know, not that unexpected. But I, here we get again, I thought, are Spice Girls still a thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like, are Spice Girls still a thing? And then coupled with Bo making a Baby Got Back reference, I'm like, is it 1996? Did I miss something? <laughs> It's always 1996 to me, Stephanie. Maybe it was maybe it was 1996 on that train, and she's just still stuck in that mode. Oh, I hope it's not 1996. I was only be 13. Oh, that was awful. God, I feel old. I did like Massimo doing his really like unhip dancing at the doll, <laughs> like snapping his fingers not to the beat. In general, I think Massimo is, like, creepy and he needs to go, but I found that very enjoyable. (laughs) Yeah. There were some bits of Massimo that I just found amusing in this episode. Like, he must be a really good cook and just, you know, who who else puts a fire pit in the middle of their living room? But, you know, I don't know. That didn't go too well for him, though, did it? No, No, it did not. No, and speaking of Massimo, you know, he's never had the sharpest wardrobe. And I was looking at that shirt he was wearing the entire episode. And I was thinking, man, he just needs to burn that thing. And then... (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean like that. (laughs) Do we want to talk about whatever the hell Massimo was talking about? 
Oh, yes, yes, with the mommy thing. Because he needed the hair for, for his mother or something? Yeah, mm-hmm. mommy. And then he starts crying. So who is Massimo's mother, and will it come into play in later episodes? I almost thought this was probably makes no sense at all, but I was like, was it some bastard child of the Morgans or something? Or I don't know. And what, well, I was what? wondering that, too, because cause last episode there was all the talk about her children and stuff. Yeah. But, and what does the Valkyrie hair do? What, why is it so valuable? Um, did, does it make, would it have made Massimo a, a fae? No, because he said his mother needed it, which, I don't know, implies to me it, it has, it's powerful in some right, but not necessarily that way. And Bo said it was mad valuable, but she didn't say exactly what for. Right, because they, I, I think Bo knew that because in, uh, Phage Against the Machine back in season three, that creepy guy, the apothecary guy, offered to buy hair from Tamsin. So I think she knew that, you know, the hair was valuable, but but even that guy didn't say why. He just said that he mm-hmm. he wanted the val- the Valkyrie hair. As slimy as Massimo is, um, I, I kind of like Tim Rosen as an actor, so I like what he did with that character. So I'm sorry to see him go into a pile of lava. Yeah, I liked I liked Tim Rosen as well. I think, well, A, I think he's he's very handsome and... I get kind of mesmerized watching his mouth. I'm like, your mouth is so pretty. (laughs) (laughs) But I did like what he did with Massimo. As creepy as Massimo was and as ready to see him kind of not have that hold over Kenzie as I was, I was sad to see him perish. Yeah, it was a bit of a surprise. So I thought it would be just left there crying. But to see him go out like that, I'm all, hey. And then Bo's weird expression after that happened. That upset me. Well, that was the final hint as to Bo is going dark. No, I know, and I, that's why it upset me. <laughs> hmm, I didn't really catch that, but... Because she smiled when he died. Oh, okay. Like a little bit of a smirk, kind mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, he was threatening her best friend, and... Yeah, I guess that is kind of weird, because she, right before that, she was like, must Bo, you know, she was shocked that he killed himself, but... Um, it was, like, horrified, followed by smirking. Mm-hmm. I was like, uh, no, Bo, no! Interesting. Um, as we mentioned earlier, I think Bo is probably going to fight it for all she's worth, that she's been told she's dark. Definitely. I, I definitely think that's where at least the next few episodes, if not the rest of the season, is going. Is seeing Bo figuring out how that happened and figuring out how to undo that. It is a pretty solid setup. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, for for an episode that began with, and I don't mean this as a criticism, but it be- began kind of fluffy, you know, sex scene, Bo and Dyson, then yeah. dancing at the doll, and it act, but it actually ended up being very significant in terms of answering previous questions and setting up stuff for the re- for the rest of the season. I-, I was curious when it started out that way, why Stephanie was so desperate to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. I was kind of getting through the for the first few scenes. I'm like, okay, these are kind of silly, and then it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh. And I and I think partially what made this episode stronger than the previous two episodes have been was there wasn't really much Fay of the Week stuff. I mean, I guess maybe the gargoyle yeah. kind of was. I guess maybe Massimo kind of was, but he wasn't a Fay. But it really it focused on the main characters, and that's really what we needed. Yeah, focused on character interaction and character yes. revelations. Um. Which to me, when it's, when it's written well, brings out just, you know, brings out a perfect scene or, you know, a really well done episode where it's written well, it's acted well, it's set up well. It just, yeah, overall makes for a really good product. 
when we've talked about it before, you know, it's not that I don't enjoy the Fae of the Week episodes. I mean, mm-hmm. they always have them every season, and they're fun and enjoyable, but really what makes this show so excellent is their great cast of characters and the interactions mm-hmm. between the characters and the the relationships that they have. I mean, it's it's very much all about the relationships and interactions between characters for me. I agree, and especially since season three really ended with everybody scattered I think we need episodes like this week's where we see characters reconnecting again. Well, and we were hearing that season four really is going to be more serialized and how we've been mentioning how it would be very difficult for a new fan to watch season four from the beginning because it is so entrenched in all these storylines and all these characters that have been created. So, um, yeah, now that the storyline, one of the major plot points has been set with Bo being dark... Uh, that's that's a big deal. And it's something else that will almost certainly bring the rest of the characters back together, because mm-hmm. basically all the Fae characters are liked. And since we were talking about Season 3 a little bit, let me pause for just a second and remind people that we are doing a giveaway of a Season 3 DVD set. The contest is only open to U.S. listeners. I apologize, international listeners. But to enter, you need to send us an email to feedback at drinksatthedoll.com with the subject line Season 3 DVDs. That's the numeral three, not the word three. And in the email, please include your name, where you are from, your hometown, and then send us a link to either a, a fan vid or a fan fiction piece about Lost Girl that you really, really like. And, you know, maybe you're not super into fan vids or fan fiction, but I encourage you, if you haven't and you want to win the DVDs, go ahead and maybe poke around, especially on YouTube. It's There's a lot of great fan vids out there, and it's usually you can find a couple of, of ones that are, are worth your time. So if you want to see all of that written down, you can go over to drinksatthedoll.com slash giveaway. There's also some more information as well as a handy little feedback form, which you can use to send in your entry. I gotta say, I thought Bo had some really great lines in this episode. <laughs> but I think my favorite one was when she was talking to Kenzie about Massimo. And Kenzie said, oh, you know him? And she says, yeah, I do. And he sucks. And he sucks. <laughs> Just the way it was said was so funny. <laughs> it's not like a great line. It's a, it's an okay line, but the way that Anna Sel- delivered, delivered it, yeah. it she, it was fantastic. And the, her, her crack about the Unamens needing a humidifier also made me laugh a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, I love it when the heroines have those kind of lines and they're always written in like that, so... Sometimes there are some real zingers. So we started talking about lovable, lovable Kenzie. So let's talk a little bit more about her, because obviously her interactions with with Bo were so lovely to see this week. I've been missing Mm -hmm. the two of them. You know, that's really what puts this episode over in memoriam for me, is that we have Bo and Kenzie in this episode, and I love Bo and Kenzie. Well, to me, that's the heart of the show, is when any two characters of these of these core characters that we know and love have that kind of interaction and it was so you know it was revealed right at you know in the middle of the episode when kenzie's mouthing off even as she's being van napped and then she keeps saying to Bo, i have to go it alone it's my problem and then later in the episode when they have that beautiful heart rendering conversation where kenzie's talking about all her insecurities about being human it was 
such a great performance by Ksenia, and so so just ugh, stab in the heart to see to see how uh, Kenzie still thinks of herself this way. Well, again, I just feel like Ksenia Solo just like nails whatever they give her. She's just mm-hmm. fantastic again in this episode. It's more interesting to me that Bo wasn't really upset about. Kenzie displaying her powers in the bar, which I thought that would be the main thing she was upset about, but she was more upset that she um, betrayed her with a kiss to Massimo and the Dyson thing. Well, I think she wasn't actually all that upset about that. I think she was upset that Kenzie hadn't told her what was going on with her sooner. But mm-hmm. I have to say, when in that in that scene, I was really surprised that Bo came back with like this biting little comment about Dyson. I I really thought she would be more compassionate. So I, I I understand she was probably directing some of the frustration she felt about having been kidnapped and feeling really powerless onto Kenzie, but I, that still surprised me. Yeah, I didn't think it was quite fair for uh, Bo to snap at Kenzie, but so I was glad that they made up later in the episode. Emily Andrews actually addressed that in the right. TVI Canada interview. And specifically said that she didn't think it was so much about Dyson as it was, you know, that was just the the last thing and really the easiest thing to sort of latch onto. Which, of course, I think anybody who's had any sort of argument with any of their friends knows that it's it's almost easier to 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 fixate on the the sort of. I totally lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Well, I should. I guess I should have phrased it better. I, I get that Boo wasn't really mad about Dyson, but I guess I was surprised she was. She came back with any kind of angry comment at all. I kind of thought she would just be more sympathetic. I guess, but again, I feel like maybe that was just some of Bo being frustrated about other things and kind of taking them out on Kenzie a little bit. I think, to some extent, the fact that Bo was picking a fight with Kenzie was because they are best friends slash family. Because you know. It's almost easier to fight with the people that you love the most. Well, because you know it's safe and they'll that they'll be okay later. Completely irrational as it is. It's one of those situations. You're you're going to forgive me any ridiculous, horrible, awful things I say. Yeah, but Bo's so when I'm going to lash out, I'm going to lash out at you because you love me. Yeah, and yeah. Bo's Bo's initially hurt, so she's just going to say whatever comes to mind, which happens to all of us. It's not pretty, but it's very human. Despite being Faye, it's very human, yes. Absolutely, absolutely. So, for Dice in this episode, I gotta say, <laughs> I was really, really pleased when Bo ditched Tamsin with him at the police station. I was like, ha! <laughs> Payback! Now you get to babysit! <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. yeah, there was definitely some uh, kind of like writing semi-patriarchal wrongs that had been happening in Bo's absence, like with Massimo, you know, Bo taking care of that icky control thing that Massimo had over Kenzie, and then Bo basically saying to Dyson, nope, I'm ditching you, and you have to take care of Tamsin the way that he did with, with Kenzie back in Sleeping Beauty School. So that made me, I actually think I clapped when she did that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, ooh. But um, I think it was good because it revealed, you know, I mean, I love seeing, you know, Rachel Scarson come back as Tamsin and then realizing that she's still that kind of innocent, wide-eyed Valkyrie and interacting with Dyson. He's kind of like, he doesn't know what to do with it (laughs) at first. So I thought that was fun. 
I did really enjoy Rachel Rachel Scarson as as baby Tamsin, essentially. Baby T. <laughs> Lil T. <laughs> well, yeah, which with, with the donuts. So, oh my god, yeah, I love Scarson and donuts so hard. <laughs> I, I was, I, I tweeted her, I said, how many donuts did you get to eat? I would have been like, yes, but I haven't gotten an answer. So, but as a pescatarian, I'm not sure how much she likes donuts. I mean, so who knows? Well, in the, but, in the interview with TV Guide Canada, Emily Andrus did say she had to eat a lot and was, was a good sport about it. <laughs> uh, and then the part with a gun where she's like, was I a good cop? <laughs> and I'm like, she's going to like shoot Dyson in the leg by accident or something. But I, I just love seeing that different side of Rachel as as an actress to kind of do something that's not so you know, Tam- Tamsin can be you know, in her last life was a very brash, smartass uh, sometimes an- antagonizing character so to see this different side of baby Tam Tam being played by Rachel is really great uh, What I liked about it was that it sort of called back to uh, Confagion wasn't it? Yes. Confagion? Oh yeah, yeah Where they they reverted to teenage versions of themselves mm-hmm. Yeah, And of course, teenage Teenage Tamsin was much more, much more warm than Tamsin as she was introduced, and and it was sort of a nice, nice juxtaposition, I guess, between Tamsin as she was introduced and Tamsin in this episode being reintroduced. Essentially, I, I appreciate that. Well, I'm wondering now how many of her memories from her former life will come back, and if she'll keep being. Like this gentler, you know, more innocent kind of Tamsin, or she'll become more hard-edged later in the season. I hope she stays. Well, not not necessarily that she stays exactly the way that she is, but I, I hope that they don't go back quite to that extent with Tamsin, just because I think you know, like with the with the drinking and kind of the nihilistic behavior, I feel like that was partially a symptom to sort of being at the end of her of that particular lifespan so i i don't know i hope that don't go all the way back to that kind of mean hardened tamsin though you know i mm. i, I like tar- tamsin's snarky comments we saw sort of a reemergence of tamsin giving dyson a hard time in this episode not as as like bitingly as she had previously but still giving him kind of a hard time and i do like that aspect of tamsin yeah and i i always think that tamsin even in her former life kind of had a marshmallow center a little bit. She's got that vulnerability under all that badassness. And, um, you know, she has, she and Bo maybe respect each other and they're both very, very good, you know, fighters and protectors, but, um, they don't always like each other, but they have some kind of connection that all the Valcubus fans love. So, but, so there's something at least with Bo that, and still in the end of this episode that resonated, um, with uh, Tamsin, when she said, that's what love feels like. And you notice that Bo was talking Tamsin down and using her succubus touch, uh, kind of the way that Lauren talked Bo down in uh, Phase White Shut. So I thought that was an interesting parallel. Well, and and speaking of that, that moment where where Tamsin says that's what love feels like, and I and I know that's a moment for for Valkyba shippers to grab onto, and I and I don't want to. Oh boy, did they grab I, onto it! I just the I don't want to take that away up. from them, but <laughs> I, I love those tweets. I have trouble seeing it as a romantic interpretation because Tamsin still has the brain of like a I don't know sixteen year old. It, it feels like, and it felt a lot more 
maternal the way that Bo kind of hugged her. And and really for Tamsin, especially in this lifetime, that's probably the first time she felt like anybody really cared about her to that extent. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that was more what she was saying rather than a romantic type of love. Well, one thing I want to know is how does Massimo know that this is Tamsin's last Because she got her wings. Is it because the wings? Yeah, the wings emerged. That was an awesome special effect, by the way. And then, but right when she said, what's happening to me? And she turned around and you you saw the blood on her back. And I'm like, oh my God, the wings. She's going to get the wings. So that was just really cool. So I, I meant to do this when we talked about Tamsin in, the, in our Tamsin episode several episodes ago, but I, I forgot. So I'm going to do it now. Because I actually, I've been waiting because I have a silly song that my that my partner taught me about Valkyrie, and it it is it is a a a riff off of Wagner's Ride of the Valkyries, and and it's lyrics talking about Valkyries. So here you go. Hopefully you'll find this as amusing as I do. Riding through night skies, showing our white thighs, picking up dead guys. It's our job. I'll take the blonde one. You take the red head. Oops, he's not dead yet. Watch him go splat. So that's my Valkyrie song. <laughs> I was laughing silently the entire time until now. Oh my god, that was freaking just pure gold. So that's when I started singing when Tamsin's wing emerged. <laughs> you must put that, the, all those lyrics in the show notes. Forget the lyrics to the song when Bo and Dyson are having sex. That song, that take on Ride of the Valkyries is awesome. And I wish I could give credit to the person who came up with that song, but I honestly don't know. I know it was a friend of my partner's, but no idea who it was. So getting back to Dyson, we kind of started talking about him. And, you know, Annie had kind of a, a rant last week about how Dyson was kind of getting on her nerves. <laughs> I, I put it lightly. And <laughs> and this week, I felt like, oh, okay, here's the Dyson that I actually like. And I realized a lot of it was because they showed him with Kenzie. Like, showing him with Kenzie at the end mm -hmm. is almost guaranteed to make me like Dyson. Because I really love the dynamic between those two. Well, at the end, when he says he can teach her in relation to Faye, what what does yeah. that mean? And why why hasn't he said anything before? But it really was kind of that platonic Denzi relationship. But when he says to her something to the effect of, you know, you you can do anything, or he just encourages her, and I was like, that's the Dyson I love. And I liked that he was telling Tamsin a fairy tale to put her to sleep, and yeah. I, you know, and because she said, what what about once upon a time? You didn't start with that. So. And I love that he made her the hero of the fairy tale. You know, it was very yeah. sweet. And then I really liked that moment where Dyson kind of like, there's a beat, and then Ken Dyson admits, admits to Kenzie that he lost Lauren. Because you can tell the way that Chris Holden reads says the line that that is something he could not admit to Bo, that he might have let her down like that. Well, here's my question. How does Dyson even know that Lauren's missing versus just off in hiding? Did we cover that in another podcast? or And why hasn't he told Bo? That's my only bone of contention. I mean, is it because he's still confused over his feelings for Bo and, you know, still want, you know, he has his own feelings? But still, we got to find the doc because she's still, you know, being held by somebody. We don't know who. It, it is confusing, though, because she they talk to each other in... Last week's episode. Wasn't it last week's episode? It was in uh, 402, Sleeping Beauty School. Was it 402? Yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember if it was then or if it was the beginning of 403. Anyway, 
basically she called to check in and he said that she had to stay hidden. Yeah. And so, I mean, do they regularly call the check-in? Is that what we're supposed well, to be getting? Because his response didn't sound like that. But then at the beginning of this episode, Bo asks if there's any word, and he said, no, it's best that she stay hidden. But then at the end, Dyson says he's lost her. So, again, where's the transition from she's in hiding to now she's in danger? I didn't quite get where Dyson got that information. Maybe he lost her scent, literally. I mean, he's saying he lost her. Right, but that's what I mean. Like, Because we don't know what kind of tabs that Dyson has been keeping on Lauren. Because, but still, again, all we've got to go on was the phone call, so... Yeah. I think this raises a good point, and something that I really wish that the writers had filled in a little better between Season 3 and Season 4, is how much does Lauren know about what's going on back where everybody else is, and how much has Lauren been in contact with them? Because we see her have a brief phone call with, with Dyson in Sleeping Beauty School, but and it suggested that that's maybe the first time she's talked to him, the way that she asked, you know, how how are you healing? How are your stitches? Did they heal okay? And, you know, we saw Kenzie calling her and leaving voicemails in the first episode, but was like, was she calling Lauren's old number and just leaving voicemails to comfort herself? Did Lauren get a you know, like a burner cell phone that she managed to get the number to Dyson and or Kenzie. Did she, you know, I really do wish that we had a better sense of what type of communication has been going on between Lauren and the other folks. And also I want to know um, how much does Lauren know about the threat? You know, is Dyson specific in saying there's this new Fey elder group that Una men's they're after you specifically. He just says it's not safe. Right. Because we see, we see with Lauren in this episode where she, when she you know figures out oh this is light fay bullshit at the end of the episode she's thinking it's it's Hale who has kidnapped her for this thing which suggests that she doesn't know Hale didn't become Ash you know which was says to me that probably she doesn't know that there's humans are being hunted which says to me she probably doesn't know about the Unamens but i'm so confused about why why Lauren thought that Hale was putting her through all that that didn't make any sense to me well here i guess what i kind of assumed is lauren originally thought that she'd been captured because of her karen beady past because of what the voice on the speaker said but then she gets this medical tray full of stuff and I think, guess she was thinking she had two different groups of people hunting her down the people who thought she was karen and then the light fae, because she'd run away from the light fae. So when she kind of ruled out, okay, this isn't about the eco-terrorism thing, it must be the light fae after me. Uh, yeah, it's very interesting. I've read all kinds of speculation on who's behind the voice, although I personally think it's the Una Men's. I don't know. This is maybe way out in left field, and maybe they just used him be for voice acting because he is a main character. But when the f- voice speaks the first time, I could have sworn it was Trick. That's what people are saying, but I'm like, why would Trick do that to her? Because he's Trick. <laughs> I know, but he, Bo would probably be tempted to kill him if he knew she, if he knew he did that. But as for backstory explanation number three hundred and sixty-two for Lauren slash Karen, this is the same backstory. Yeah, I know, I know, but it, I just felt like, wow. But she has a brother. And how did changing the world and their idea of changing the world lead to eco-terrorism? And I get the feeling that with the way she was talking, that 
somewhat similar to the Fae, where Lauren's ideals, they were compromised, where someone took her talents and her brain and manipulated them for the purpose of eco-terrorism, just like they were manipulated for the Light Fae. And, you know, with 11 people dying and blowing up a pipeline, that I was like, oh crap, this really gives the human authorities reason to look for her. And that's another threat you know, that she has on her mind. And besides the whole thing with the Fae that the show has been dealing with for the last several years. So, you know, poor Lauren. But I just, maybe, maybe in season five, we'll see Lauren smile again. (laughs) It's like she gets one happy moment per season. (laughs) So Lauren and Crystal are trapped in this little area, of course. And so, of course, Crystal finally has to confess some, some stuff about there what happened between them in the in the previous episode and then lauren brings up that word that i know the three of us love spy bang <laughs> and really i <laughs> i was surprised she said it because the whole thing building with crystal i could tell that was kind of where they were going to go with it and i thought oh it's like a callback to season one again but i was actually surprised they really used the word like had her say it and while i don't like the word i kind of like the way that Zoe said the line, because to me it kind of seemed like mm-hmm. she was realizing, oh, this is what Kenzie thinks I did to Bo. Yeah, it was said with a real sense of kind of dawning and irony, so the way that she said it. So I agree with you there. I mean, I hope that wasn't just kind of stuck in for fan service to people who do agree with that term. Um, but I, once I heard that, I was just like, uh-oh. <laughs> That brings out a whole can of worms again. Although, really, I mean, I don't know this, but since they've talked about and and hinted at Kenzie and Lauren becoming closer, like, maybe this will ultimately sort of serve to connect the two of them more. You know what I mean? Bring a little bit more of understanding between Kenzie and the Doc. Yes, that is exactly what I am trying to say, but my brain is too fried to actually completely get there. (laughs) Well, I I do like that Kenzie kept sticking up for Lauren in this episode when she was saying to Bo, she's one of the good ones. You have hints, even though they haven't been in a scene together, of how they understand or care for one another. And then I know a lot of Lauren fans really loved the, the part of the scene where Lauren, you know, takes off the handcuffs and basically calls calls the light fae idiots. And yeah. I did have a conversation <laughs> with somebody who said that she felt like that was out of character for Lauren. It was a little too much kind of show-offy behavior. And I can kind of get that. Gen- Lauren is generally a little more under-the-radar sneaky, I think, because she has had to be. But to me, it really reminded me of when she got fed up with Lachlan in season two and, you know, Mm -hmm. threw her papers down. And I feel like it's just Lauren's Mm -hmm. at the end of her rope with the face. She's just so completely done with it. And I think they were trying to hint at that when she was confessing to Crystal about her past as Karen and saying that Karen ran and I've been running. You know, she's just kind of done with that, I feel like. And she just wants to take the consequences, be what they may. Yeah, she's tired and exhausted, but... You know, I think that's one of the tragedies, is that the Fae won't let her go. But um, I did love that part where she does just call them out on it, because there's only so much one person can take. And she's like, you know what, I'm just going to fight it, and um, tell them what I think. 
and I believe Emily said in the interview for TV Canada this week, um, that uh, she's got nothing left to lose. She's like, screw it, I'm gonna, you know, you know, you want my brain, you want my talents, but <laughs> you're still idiots, and I'm still gonna call you out on it. Well, and I think that's partially why she took that approach with them, is because they d- they didn't kill her. They captured her and then wanted her to solve this problem for them. She kind of, I think she in that moment knew, I have leverage over these people. They still need yeah. me, even though yeah. I defied them and I ran away. If they really were going to kill me, they would have done it probably already. I do think it's significant, too, that this defiance comes after Lauren had her freedom for a while. You know what I mean? You know, here she's been living life away from the Fae stuff for the most part anyway having a, a bit of bit of a taste of freedom, I guess, and again, contributing to the whole being fed up with it thing. Oh, absolutely. I think even though, you know, her little thing with Crystal went ended up going kind of badly, you know, she she had her freedom, she had a little bit of happiness, and I think that's partially why, again, she was just like done with it. So we also had a lot of like loose ends, well, not a lot, but several loose ends from the previous season kind of tied up, which I'm sure made Chris very happy because they addressed the rune glass potion. You have no idea how happy I am <laughs> that we finally have a little bit of closure on that. Because as as you both know, I'm, I've been a little fixated on the rune glass. Just a little bit. <laughs> And you were touchy about it, too. It's like, well, how do you know it didn't work? Maybe it did. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know, Stephanie. We didn't know. <laughs> but now it we do. Work. It did work. See, Chris was right all along. Massimo confirms it did that work. That it transcended planes. Yes. yes, it was not meant to kill Bo. It was supposed to mark her so she could transcend planes, which she did. So it did work. Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> Validation! <laughs> And then we also got follow up as to why Lauren is is you know wanted by by Interpol etc. And then we also got you know for the Docubus fans we got follow up on well, Lauren was lying when she said she didn't love Bo and and, and uh, those who wander right right right. So yes yes she yes. most likely was lying. She she does love Bo. Despite my gripes this last few episodes, I am Docubus till the end. They will always love each other, if not in the show, at least in fanfic. So, Really, any are you Docubus till the end? We didn't know that. Well, you know, I didn't want any, I just wanted to state it so nobody doubted me. Nobody doubts Nobody that. doubts you, Annie. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the other thing we got confirmation about was that Massimo is a human. Yes. It's still yes. very, to me, a bit confusing and a bit vague, but he goes, but I'm a druid, and you know, insinuated that the Fae needed him. What did they need? And and I think you, Chris, mentioned that, you know, that it's it's still, there's no limit on humans using magic. So maybe... Exactly. It, That's what he was providing to the Fae was his, his, his magic. So he must have been disguising himself, maybe, all these years into, well, maybe not the Morgan, because she said, you're not bad for a human, but um, did deceive some people, at least, that he was Fae. Right, because he was hanging out in the doll. We've seen him hanging out in the doll twice now. And none of the Fae thought, oh, who's this other human in here? Is he claimed? Blah, blah, blah. Well, if he can make Kenzie seem human. Or Fae, yeah. Or, yeah. (laughs) It's been a long day. Kenzie is human, Chris. Remember? (laughs) 
<laughs> well, very long day. Again, maybe maybe that's why um, he's doing all the cooking. He's literally cooking up his potions or something. I was like, why does he have so many pots going? And then he says, get something from the green wall in Lauren's uh, apartment. And I'm like, oh my god, they made the bush, the, the wall bush, a character. I did like the suggestion that that's what the living wall was for, was growing herbs that might be useful for Lauren as she practices with with Faye. I, I liked that they kind of gave a gave a hint as to why she had that bush. Why yeah, she had a pet and that bush. makes sense. But I, but I think that's also a bit of fan service because so many fans have wondered for a few years what the hell is this wall doing in the apartment. I also wondered if it wasn't a little bit of fan service when they had the shot of Bo pushing Kenzie out of Lauren's apartment, and then they showed her closing the door. Because <laughs> yeah, the door's never of, closed. <laughs> exactly. A lot of fans have, I, have... I've seen them on Twitter ask Emily Andrus, why is Lauren's the door to Lauren's apartment always open? Because it's open during these really intimate moments, yeah. and the door's just wide <laughs> open. <laughs> Yeah. Actually, I remember talking to you, Stephanie, about one particular scene. Yes! And yeah. you did not know that the door was open during that scene because you were not looking at the door. Well, <laughs> in the middle kind of sexy scene in episode three or four, Fades of Black, where, where Bo and, and Lauren are smooching on that little kind of chaise lounge and they're in their undies, Chris pointed out that the door to Lauren's apartment is open. I did open. not know that. It is. Oh my and, god, how funny. And the camera comes through the doors out to her patio. Oh, yeah, and yeah, so that's right. Her apartment was just completely open. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, forget this fact that it's a set and they logically have to put the camera through the doorway or whatever, but yeah, the door is I mean, that's how um Oh, what's his name? Was able to attack Lauren with the caltraps and get in and set up all the caltraps and uh, delinquents and all that stuff. Because she leaves the door open. During all the time. All the time. Yeah, if and it's now, not it, wide open, it's unlocked. So, And how ironic that they were trapped in Lauren's apartment. When it's usually so completely... You know, easy to get in and out. <laughs> yeah. As we see with, like, the Morrigan wandering through. <laughs> <laughs> Though they did, I must say, they did shoot out onto the patio in this episode, and it looks like maybe her patio might be, like, closed in. So it's less weird that she and she and Bo were getting sexy with that door open. But still, the door to her still. apartment was wide open. <laughs> <laughs> they they oh, like a little, out my a little breeze during their sexy times, apparently. <laughs> <sighs> I'm so breaking out my Blu-rays and looking at that right now after this. So. <laughs> But yeah, the show has been just really fan servicey this season, you know, especially it, it with four oh four oh one and again with this episode. So I, I feel like the the I don't know, the writers, the producers are really trying to show the fans that that we are appreciated. Also be beware of Lost Girl fans because they're listening. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Wait, they are. They can be more fan servicey with more docubus next week, I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, since Annie's been complaining about Lauren's wardrobe in previous episodes. I get to complain Has about... She? Maybe once or twice. <laughs> Can't help it. I get to complain about wardrobe in this episode. Massimo's shirt and Bo's shirts. What the heck was Bo wearing? Oh, I know. It just... You know... The thing with the hip frills? Yes! Yes! Okay, animal print shirt she was wearing. That's like, that was a Kinsey shirt. Bo is not an animal print person. That's how I knew something was wrong with Bo. I'm like, what is going on with your clothes, lady? Well, it was just like, yeah, what's up with the flares? I mean, it's like, 
you know, the hips don't have to be able to not go through a doorway, but anyway. It's nothing about Anna, it's just that, yeah, that top is... Yeah, and it was weird to see, like, um, a corset-type top on Bo. I'm like, that's Kenzie's style. Like, she'd turn around and i go, what? It's just not working. Both of the shirts that she wore, sort of the, the not-her-gym-clothes, that I, I thought were kind of more Kenzie tops than Bo tops. Oh, yeah. But she looks great in gym clothes. Maybe maybe Kenzie went bow shopping while Bo was gone. That's true. And tried to influence her. And and Bo wore them out of a sense of duty to, to Kenzie. <laughs> what with the what with the hugging. The incessant hugging. That, yeah. That line cracked me up the uh, when is the incessant hugging going to stop? And I'm like, by definition, incessant means that it shall never cease. So <laughs> that question is weird to me. Let us know what you thought of this week's episode. Did you enjoy it as much as we did? We would love to hear your thoughts about it. You can go and leave a comment on the show notes over at drinksatthedoll.com slash 29. You can also send us an email to feedback at drinksatthedoll.com, or you can leave a message on our listener voicemail line. That number is 972-514-7223. And again, don't forget about our season three DVD giveaway. You can find more information about that at drinksatthedoll.com slash giveaway. I'm so glad you could join us for Drinks at the Doll. My name is Stephanie. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Cheers.